Good morning, Believer's Chapel. Thanks for being here this morning. If you have your Bible, please uh, turn to Philippians chapter 2. We're continuing in the series, Live Life in the Fullness of Joy. Philippians is a book encouraging us to find joy in Jesus in spite of circumstances, trials, hardships, wherever we find ourselves. Philippians 2, verses 12 through 18 is what we'll be looking at this morning. Oh my goodness, uh, powerful words in the worship this morning, is there not? Wow, wow. And uh, how beautiful it is to sing these words and coming off of last week's message and then last Sunday night's Sikh service, um, God, is, God is up to something. <laughs> his Holy Spirit is at work and moving in the hearts and lives of uh, us as his people. Uh, because last Sunday, uh, Pastor Sean spoke a powerful message uh, in verses 5 through 11, which show us and describe for us uh, Jesus emptying himself, thinking equality with God something not to be held onto or grasped, but made himself of no reputation or emptied himself. Now, emptying himself wasn't, um, it, it was a change in role and status not essential attributes and nature. He was God and he was man. There's a mystery in that, uh, but that's the biblical truth. Uh, God became man. He emptied himself, took upon himself uh, the form of a servant, was made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loved, I hope you can say that. Oh, how he loved, when you grasp the reality of what he did, my goodness, we are undone. And so the passages that we're looking at this morning, verses 12 through 18, I think are a perfect application of what was preached last Sunday and the text that Pastor Sean covered, verses 5 through 11. Because let's read this, uh, follow along as I read verses 12 through 18. It begins by saying, therefore, right? So, so within that text, right away, he's making references to the words he had written just before that. And that was Christ humbling himself and becoming, becoming obedient unto death. Therefore, all that God has done through Christ... Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you will shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I had did not run or labor for nothing but even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith I am glad I rejoice with all of you so you too should be glad and rejoice with me Paul is encouraging the Philippians and the people that 
are in that church to live out the life of Christ, bear and do what Christ did for us, humbled himself, sacrificed in service towards others so that they would know the glory and goodness of the love of the Father. And Jesus suffered, right? Man of sorrows, acquainted with our grief. And so Paul writes to the Philippians, look at chapter 1, verse 29. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe, right? This is a work of God, and he's granted you to believe in Jesus Christ. Somewhere, somehow, somebody shared the good news of Jesus to you, and God gave you faith to believe, and you became a Christian or born again, right? So this was granted. This is a gift. This is a privilege bought through the blood of Jesus Christ. It has been granted to you on behalf of Christ to believe. And what does he say next? Verse 29 of chapter 1, but also to suffer for him. Do you realize that it is granted to you not only to believe, but also to suffer? Not too many amens or hallelujahs after that one, right? It has been granted to you. What a privilege to be identified as a Christian. And that includes knowing Christ, but also suffering for him and his sake. And and so Paul is encouraging them in his letter to live the life of joy in Christ, which is not only believing in him, but will also incorporate hardship, trial, and suffering. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you want to live a godly life, you will be persecuted. Don't be surprised that these trials come upon you. Take joy that you have been identified with Christ. So he writes, and so in in this paragraph that we're going to look at, verses 12 through 18, I kind of summarized it in a sentence that will work as our outline this morning. So what we're hoping to cover is what you see uh, soon up on the screen will be what uh, God is working in you and through you. Paul writes to the Philippians, and so thereby writing to us, he wants us to remember whose we are, right? Verses 12 through 18 of chapter 2, Paul is writing so that we may act the miracle, and Paul is writing so that we will shine like stars so we won't waste our life. Don't waste your life. Remember whose you are, act the miracle, shine like stars, don't waste your life. Therefore, my dear friends, in verse 12, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Uh, Paul is encouraging the Philippians, remember whose you are. You've been bought with a price. You no longer live. Your life is hidden in Christ. Through the precious blood of Jesus, you have been purchased and redeemed. You belong to him. Remember whose you are. Isn't this every parent's prayer? As our children leave the house and go to an overnight or an activity, remember whose you are. Remember whose you are. Hey, remember whose you are. Clark, you bear the name of Clark. That that carries something. There's a weight to that, all right? Remember whose you are. You represent the Clark family. 
Remember who's you. And so this is, this is what Paul is saying here. Now, in my presence, you obeyed. When I was there, you had no problem listening and being encouraged and following my instructions. Now that I am not there, right? Every parent's prayer. <laughs> now that I am not there, remember whose you are and bear that name with honor and respect. He, he kind of says that in chapter 1, verse 27. Whether I'm going to be able to come and see you or can't, he says in verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Right? Remember whose you are. You are a Christian. You are the child of God. And whatever comes in or out of your life, represent him well. Wherever you go, wherever you find yourself, represent Christ well. Make your calling and election sure. Live up to the gospel of Christ. Represent Jesus well on campus, in school, at home, in the workplace, in your community. Remember whose you are. And if you read a little bit further in chapter 2, verse 12, remember whose you are, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. He says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Now, we're not working for our salvation. Did you catch that? He says, work out your salvation. He's not saying work for your salvation, work out your salvation. It is God who is at work in you. We don't work for it. It's not earned. Um, Christ paid for it. Christ paid for it fully and completely with his life. Uh, let's take a look at a couple of books, one before Philippians and then one after. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. Just a book before Philippians, you'll find Ephesians, and that's in chapter 2. We're talking about remembering whose we are, and then Number two, what we're going to look at is acting a miracle. Act the miracle. And this is the miracle. He who began the good work in you. He began the good work in you. It is not you who saved yourself. It is God. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. Chapter 2, verse 1 of Ephesians. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Um, I'm not a doctor, but dead means dead, right? So do dead people see? Can dead people hear? There's an illustration that has been used in the past where somebody who is a sinner is drowning in the pool of sin and somebody throws a life preserver, all you have to do is reach out and grab it and you will be saved. I'm not a doctor. But last thing I knew, dead people don't grab. Dead people don't grab. The Bible says you were dead in your transgressions and sins. You didn't see, you didn't hear, there was no self-determination. 
But watch, when we talk about acting the miracle, here it begins. You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us. Did you catch that? All of us. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. All of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and the following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of God's wrath. We couldn't please God. That's who we were as unbelievers. It is a miracle and a work of God. When you look back at Philippians 2, in the first part of that chapter, God took upon flesh in Jesus and became obedient to death. God actually saved us from God because we were objects of his wrath. But he loved us so much that he took upon the form of a servant in the likeness of man and became obedient to the Father's will that he took your place and mine on the cross and fully and completely satisfied the wrath of God as God poured out his righteous indignation upon your sin and mine. Oh, how he loved us? Yeah, because we deserve the wrath of God and God took it on himself. God saved us from God. Did somebody say amen? Because that's good stuff. That is good stuff. He took what we deserved. He lived a life we couldn't live. Paid the price we could never pay. And he restored a relationship with us to our creator. Oh, and by the way, Christianity is unique that way. There is no other religion, religion like Christianity because all other religions are man trying to appease a deity or a higher human or being or whatever, right? Christianity is totally opposite in that way, unique above all other religions. We call it a relationship because our creator became our savior through Jesus Christ. And now I have a relationship. It is personal. I have a relationship. All other religions are different. Islam has five pillars. Hindu has to have their sins forgiven by being baptized in the Ganges River. And everybody else, like Alan Jackson's song, is just simply working hard to get to heaven. And you can't do that. You can't work. Because God, through Jesus, did all of it. That's the miracle. That's the miracle. Acting the miracle. Go to the other side of Philippians and look at Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Remember whose you are. And the second point of our little outline trying to describe Philippians 2, 12 through 18 is act the miracle. And the miracle is taking place in God's work in us. Paul writes to the Philippians and says, he began the good work. 
He'll be faithful to complete it. And so we're looking at this miracle that takes place in our hearts because we were dead, but God made us alive. That's a miracle. Colossians chapter 2, look at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, right? We saw that in Ephesians 2. When you were dead in your sins, and now he gives us the illustration of circumcision, an Old Testament Jewish covenant that God had established with Abraham. You were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. Romans 8 verses 5 through 11 describe for us the sinful nature, uh, the sinful mind controlled by the sinful nature and those who have the spirit. The ones with the sinful mind and the sinful nature could care less about God, don't want to please him, and as a matter of fact, they can't please him. But with the spirit that now indwells, we have the mind of Christ. His spirit indwells us. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God now who that works in you. The spirit now that indwells gives us power. And this is the illustration of circumcision. When you were an unbeliever, you were considered uncircumcised in your sinful nature. But because of the work of the cross through Jesus Christ, he has cut off the sinful nature. It is no longer has dominion or power over you right? It's cut off because of the work of Christ. Look as we read through Colossians 2.13, you were dead in your transgressions and sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature. God made you alive. Did you catch that? God made you alive with Christ. God forgave you of your sins. God canceled the written code with all of its regulations that stood opposed to you. God took it away. God nailed it to the cross. And in verse 15, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He made public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. This is the work of God through Christ. Work out your salvation. You're not working for it. You're working it out because it is God who began the good work. And it is God who is in you, empowering you now to say no to sin. You can defeat it. You can conquer it. I can resist the devil and he will flee right? This is the work of God in you. Remember whose you are and act the miracle. Act the miracle. Because in Colossians chapter 3, look at, this is, this is how it works. You have been raised with Christ. All of what Christ has done, God considers as you as having done it. You are identified with Christ, he lived the perfect life. He is holy. God considers you as holy. Your sins have been paid for. You have been forgiven. You are declared holy in God's sight. There is a position we enjoy instantaneously when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior. Now it is a progressive work and it can happen and works itself out in practice. We become more and more like Jesus and more and more free from sin. You have been predetermined to be like Jesus, right? And so with his work in your life, the uncircumcision now becomes circumcised sin. He's made you alive. He forgave you. He canceled the code. 
Now he also empowers you in chapter 3, verse 1. He raised you to new life. So set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's glorious good news. That's good news because now we can mortify the deeds of the flesh. We can make to die sin that God convicts us of through his spirit. That's not a part of me anymore. And that's kind of what he talks about in verse 7. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. Now look at verse 8. But now you must rid yourself of all such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And then you've got to put on Christ. Therefore, as God's chosen people, in verse 12, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And these are the things that are the work of you and I walking with Jesus. Remembering whose we are and acting the miracle. This is a work of God. This is a work of God. You're a walking miracle. Here's a couple of Old Testament passages that I want you to see. Because the promises that were given to Israel, according to the New Testament scripture, are ours. Through Christ, right? So these are a couple promises that God told Israel, but we, for sure, incorporate them in our lives and can rest upon them. We can bank upon them. We can, we can, we can live. This is foundational, right? We're talking about acting the miracle. Look at, uh, you don't have to look at it, but I think they have it up there on the screen. Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32 verses 38 through 41. They will be my people. I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart. Did you see that? This is God talking. I will give them singleness of heart and action. We're talking about working out our salvation with fear and trembling because it's God that's working in. And this is his promise to you so that they will always fear me. They will all will then go and that all then. They will be my people. I will be their God. I will give them singleness of heart and action so that they will always fear me and that all will then go well for them and for their children after them. What a blessed promise. You and your household. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. I will never stop doing good to them. I will inspire them to fear me so that they will never, never turn away. I will rejoice in doing them good and will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and soul. Isn't that a blessed promise of Jesus? Uh, that's ours. That's ours because of Christ. What God had promised Israel, it's ours because of what Christ has done on the cross. Another one is Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36. See, I got to put my glasses on because my, uh, my, my human visual sight is kind of like my spiritual sight. I, I can't see far away. Lord, I need help. So he gave us corrective lenses, both physically and spiritually. Here in Ezekiel 36, another promise. Listen to this. This is beautiful. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be, my, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities 
and from all your idols, I will give you a new heart. Did you catch that? This is God speaking. I'm going to give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Then you will live in the land I give your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Does that sound familiar? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling because I am working in you to will and to do of my good pleasure and purpose. And so this is why we are encouraged here in Philippians, back to Philippians 2, not only to remember whose we are, but recognize that we are just simply acting out a miracle. Acting out a miracle. God works at the level of our desires, our appetites, our affections, our choices. Fundamental to salvation is a heart change, the transformation of our will. You see, Christian obedience involves the miraculous and the mysterious union between the divine action and human action. A Christian, uh, and our Christian obedience is an obedience from the inside out and not from the outside in. It begins with the work of the heart. I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you so that you will obey me. You will have the desire to. You will have the affections. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 10, by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace was not without effect. I worked harder than all of the rest. I worked harder than all of the rest. But it wasn't me. It was his grace in me. Right? So this, it's, it's miraculous, it's mysterious, but it is a work of God. It is a miracle that takes place in your life. You have the spirit of God that indwells you. You don't work for your salvation. You work out your salvation. Faith works, and it is evident by your behavior, your choices, your changed affections, your different appetites, right? This is the work of God in our lives. Remember whose you are. Act the miracle. And verses 15, or 14 and 15 of Philippians chapter 2, shine like stars, shine like stars, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become blameless. Now, now blameless is, is you not being accused of contributing to the crazy that's in our world, right? I'm not going to be blamed for that. That's, that's crazy. That's not me. I'm, I'm not contributing to that. My lifestyle, my choices, I'm not contributing. To, that's being blameless. Being blameless and pure, children of God. Pure is not letting the crazy get on me. I'm living in a world. I'm not going to let the crazy get on me. I'm called. I'm set apart. I'm a child of God. I'm going to live differently. I'm going to walk differently. I'm going to raise my kids differently. I have different priorities. I have different passions. I have different appetites and desires, right? 
That, that, it's not going to contaminate me. I'm not going to be blamed for it. And this is what he's encouraging. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. Right? Without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. How many in verse 14, in my translation I have, do everything without complaining or arguing. How many have grumbling? Yeah, some people have that translation. I, I like that term. <laughs> I like the grumbling term, right? It kind of sums up arguing and, and complaining. Well, well, grumbling simply is discontentment made audible. <laughs> grumbling is discontentment made audible, right? It can, it, it can come from something as simple as, they didn't put enough whipped cream on my hot chocolate. Two, why do people who hate God seem to prosper? And here I am trying to live a life honoring to Jesus and all I have is struggle and pain, right? Grumbling is murmuring against God. It is the voice of unbelief. We grumble when our faith in God's good purposes falters, unwilling to trust that God is crafting this disappointment for our good. We have eyes only for the pain and the hurt that we feel right now. Grumbling relies on a false interpretation of a reality. We need God to reinterpret our circumstances for us. We put away grumbling by holding fast to the word of life. That's verse 16, right? Be pure, be blameless, children of God, without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars. How can I shine like a star in, in this crooked and depraved generation, the blackness of my culture? Well, you do that by holding out or holding fast, the word of life. Verse 16, right? So what he's trying to communicate is what is said often in, or is said in Hebrews 12, verses 2 and 3. Focus on Jesus Christ. Focus on him and what he has done for you and all that he has provided for you. Focus on Christ for the joy set before him endured the cross despising its shame, sat down at the right hand of Father. Focus on Jesus Christ. I'm going to get that right here. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. How do we shine like stars? We focus on Jesus. We focus on, this was chapter two earlier. It's all about him. He empowers us. He has equipped us. He has saved us. We work out our salvation because it is he who is at work in us. We can and will shine like stars in the blackest night. That doesn't take much description in our culture and society today. If you're going to stand for biblical marriage, If you're going to 
hold the truth and the line on God's design for sexuality? You're going you're gonna to be persecuted. You're going to be ostracized. You're not going to be chosen for whatever. But you're going to shine like stars. And that's exactly what God wants you to do. Hold fast to him and his word. And no matter what the circumstances or situation may befall you, remain true and strong and you will not waste your life. You will shine like stars in our generation and in our community, in our, on our campuses and in our school, right? If you don't grumble, you will shine. Our society, our, our culture, our people in school, our neighbors, in our community, um, serving in our leadership and our government, my goodness, do everything without grumbling. Whatever befalls or besets us, we see through the hand of God our Father, he allows or causes things into our life for our purpose and for our good and for his glory. You see, walking in joy and in the fullness of God that way, if you use joy as an acronym, J for Jesus, this will help establish your priorities, J for Jesus, O for others, and Y for yourself. Joy, Jesus, others, and then yourself. If you're back in Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 21. Everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Did you catch that? That's powerful. Everyone looks out for their own interests, but not if you belong to Christ. Have the same attitude. Have the same perspective. Your approach to life. Some theologian, I forget who it was, was asked, can you summarize the Christian life up for me? He says, yep, I'll give you one word. Others. Others. Isn't that what Jesus did? Didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to, but made himself of no reputation, gave up his life for you and for me. And we live that out. We embody that. That's, that's our life. Remember whose you are. Act the miracle. He began the good work. He's working in you. He'll be faithful to complete it. And if you stand for truth and hold forth and out the word of God, you will shine like stars and you will not waste your life. Verses 16 and 17 of Philippians chapter 2. Paul says, I want to boast on the day of Christ in a good way that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I'm being poured out now like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I will rejoice. Don't waste your life. And Paul was pouring out all who he was and all that he had for the growth and maturity and the joy for the people in Philippi. 
That is not wasting your life. Pouring yourself out, expending all of you and all that you have, you are a living testimony of the story of Christ. All of your efforts, all of your energy. What, what lights your fire? What is your passion? What, what gets you up in the morning and helps you through the day? Remembering whose you are, act the miracle, shining like stars, and you won't waste your... This, this was Paul's passion. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 10. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. This was his heartbeat. This is what he poured himself out for. He had accolades. He had letters before his name and behind his name. Paul had all things humanly possible, but he considers them, if you read a little bit further, just a pile of manure compared to knowing Jesus. I want to know Christ, right? I want to make him known. And he went all around the known world, planting churches and reaching people for the gospel of Jesus Christ. What lights your fire? What is your passion? Is it to know Christ? Is it to make him known? He simply wants you to be his ambassador, his, his vessel, to make his plea through you to others, be reconciled to God. Will you do that? Will you surrender to his will and purpose, whatever that may look like in your life, wherever you find yourself? Don't waste your life. There are two things you can invest in. The word of God and people. Right? Those are the two things that last forever. And if you want an everlasting investment, long-term investment, Invest in the word of God and invest in people. And you will have treasures in heaven. Store up for yourself treasure in heaven where moth and rust can't corrupt, where thieves can't break in and steal. Don't waste your life. Remember whose you are. Act the miracle. Shine like stars and you won't waste your life. So in conclusion, let me bring out two points here. Number one, everyone dies, but not everyone really lives. Did you catch that? Everyone dies, but not everyone lives. Take hold of the life that is truly life. A life bought and paid for by Jesus Christ, identified with him, walking with him in service to him, loving his word and investing in others that they would know him. That's not a wasted life. That's an eternal reward that you will receive and have joy in 
forever. Am I convinced that knowing Christ is the best way to live and the only way to die? Right? Am I convinced? Ask yourself this question. Am I convinced that knowing Christ is the best way to live and the only way to die? Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. Everyone dies, but not everybody really lives. Take hold of the life. And the second observation or point that I'd like to conclude with is, I want to encourage you to be a telescope. When you talk about stars at night, they're beautiful. Some of them are just so small, and there are many that we don't even see with the naked eye. And you know what? Those are your friends. Those are your people at work, in your community, on campus, in the school. These are your friends who can't see Jesus. And the encouragement is, is to be that lens of a telescope where they see what you're going through and you still have joy and you still proclaim God is good. I don't know why or what he's doing or how this is going to work out, but God has began a good work in me. He is faithful to complete it. And I just, I, he's, he's gone to the greatest lengths to do the greatest good. I have to believe he doesn't have evil intentions towards me. He is good. He loves me. I look at the cross and I am convinced. People look at you when you go through stuff and they see you saying that and acting that out. You're the telescope that says there is someone bigger and better and more glorious and bigger than you could ever imagine. You need to know him. You need to see him. And that's what God is asking you to do. You're a child of God. Remember whose you are. He began that good work. Act the miracle. Be all in. He's working in me. I'm all in. I'm going to read. I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask God for direction and guidance and power. And he's going to use me to shine like stars at night. I want to be that telescope. I want people to see Jesus through me. Our closing verse that I'd like to leave you with is Psalm 1611. And I think they'll have that up on the screen. Psalm 1611. You want a life summary verse to kind of commit to memory and say, this is my, right? He says, you have made known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Do you believe this? In his holy presence is fullness of joy? Or are you looking for pleasures temporarily in other places that may be pleasing for a while, but not lasting and bring hardship and grief and sorrow? Don't be easily satisfied with the temporary. That's the scheme of the devil. 
Embrace what God has for you. In his holy presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's what I'm living for. That's what I want to do. That's how I want to be. I want people to see Jesus. I am convinced that knowing Christ is the best way to live and the only way to die. God is up to something. He's doing a great work around the world and here in Olean. May we be a part and just simply ask him, here I am, send me, use me, help me, Lord. Remember who I am. Remember that I'm acting out a miracle. This is your work. I'm empowered by you. I can be bold and courageous because of you. You are doing a great thing. Help me to shine like stars. Be your telescope to the people you've allowed me to encounter. I will not waste my life. I will not. I'm not going to waste my life. I'm going to live for you. For me to live is Christ. <laughs> and to die is gain. Our Lord and Heavenly Father, we are just so grateful for your work that you've began. We rest in the fact that you're going to complete it. And you've empowered our will to be able to conquer sin and to walk in grace and truth and strength and power and boldness. You are doing something in us and around the world. Lead us to other people who need you and you have called to be your own. Use us as your instruments. Call people unto yourself through us. Make your plea through us to be reconciled to you. Thank you for all that you're doing. We love you and look forward to seeing you someday. Amen.